The Tumbling Saber podcast is powered by our powerful friends. Become a powerful friend for just a couple dollars per month and get exclusive podcasts, early access podcasts, random prize draws, contests, newsletters, and more. Visit patreon.com slash tumblingsaber and become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Hey everybody, welcome back to Journals of the Willing, where this week Steve and I are taking a look at Princess of Alderaan, Leia, Princess of Alderaan by Claudia Gray. Welcome back everybody, glad to be with you. As always, I'm Kyle this week. And this is Steve. <laughs> Steve is sleepy. <laughs> I am very sleepy, sorry guys, I'm going to sound a little groggy tonight. <laughs> it's, it's the end of a long, long week. It's been a rough. It's alright, it's alright, we're going to unpack this week and put a fork in it. With some talk about our favorite princess and general, Steve, yes. how you doing, man? Everything, every, aside from the sleepiness, and everything going okay? Ah, things are going really well. Um, not too much to report. Although, actually, keeping it Star Wars relevant, um, Amazon prices have gone down, so I have completed my 40th anniversary Black Series collection. Woo! Yes, yes, yes. Very happy. My final three: the uh, Death Star Trooper, Stormtrooper, and uh, Tusken Raider arrived. Now I can proudly display it in my man cave. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's a that's that's a heck of a feat. Congratulations. Thank you. I feel very proud of it. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? I'm okay. The days just keep flying by. We're you know we're all, we're eleven months until Christmas. Is that all? <laughs> <laughs> it feels like we were just here not long ago, opening up our our Sithmas presents. Oh wow! On our Sithmas special, and yet, you know, we've already knocked a whole month off the March until the next Christmas. Crazy. Yeah, actually, it is almost February. Jeez. It's it's coming fast and furious as it always does. Uh, but you all, we're, you know, we're talking about Leia of Alderaan today. But you also finished Lost Stars, also by Claudia Gray. I did. Do you want to go there first before we uh, dive into Princess of Alderaan? Uh, I guess we could spend. I mean, really quick, because I I don't think we've spoken about it before. I think maybe on a solo mission here on on journals, I've may have spe- spoken about it. Um. But yeah, I mean, we we can tackle this really quickly if you want. Um, I mean, I just I I loved it. Um, I think I I posted like as soon as I finished it, I was like, this is probably one of, if not my favorite, new canon novel. Um, you know, it's not so much that it reveals much, you know, as far as lore goes. It's just the way it's written, the way it's structured. Um, I really love the characters, uh, Thane and Sienna. Um, I think they're very complex, and I think uh, and I, and I, and I like that it's not a typical love story either, right? It's kind of packaged as a love story, but um, you know, it, as you know by the way it ends, it doesn't end in a in a love story kind of way. Um, 
But it's a little bit of Romeo and Juliet in space. Right, right. Plague on both their houses. <laughs> um, which is, yeah, which they also never see their families again. So that's also very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I just, I think structurally, though, like I was saying, I love the way it takes you through the original trilogy um, and how these characters evolve over time. Um, and kind of like the shift, because, you know, I, I was lucky that I really didn't get spoiled um, going into this book. So, you know, I I never would have guessed the way that their characters developed. I would have thought Cyanna would have defected and not Fane, but it ended up being the other way around. Um, and, and yeah, I, yeah, no, she's like, yeah, Sienna was, was totally like she was, she was so loyal to the M to the empire, whereas Thane just completely revolted. Right. Um, and to a point, I mean, there were moments where I hated her and then I felt bad for her and then I hated her again and then I felt bad for her again. <laughs> um, it was just, it really was a roller coaster. I thought, um, just really well done. Um, the little cameos of, um, uh, not Krennic, uh, Tarkin, um, Mon Mothma. Uh, it, it, I thought it was just really a pleasant, pleasant story. Yeah, I, I loved how it presented both sides of the events of the of the original trilogy. It and it was from it was almost jarring in a way to see regular rank and file imperials describing the destruction of the death star and describing all these events from their point of view where they actually viewed themselves as the good guys and the rebellion as terrorists yeah it was really it was it was, it was jarring to read that because you like the it was funny because you like these kids in the, in the empire you know, they're they're fairly new recruits. They're new officers in the empire, and you know they're working for the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But yet, they, they, Claudia Gray made them uh, relatable and likable. So you're like, why? Why do I like these Imperials? Yeah. And you go, oh, they're they're really just kids. Yeah, I mean, they they themselves though were victims of the empire, right? When you think about it, so it's it's interesting. You know, I don't think the book really. It's not trying to get you to empathize with the Empire. It's, it's with these people who were swept up and, and kind of uh, sold a, a false bill of goods, right? Sure. You know, it's like, we're going to protect you. We're here to help your families and, and, and bring your planet's prosperity. And, um, you know, it was the facade of order and, and peace. And they fell for it. Um, you know, and then slowly that facade chipped away, at least for Thane. Right, but then Cyana kind of still held on to that dream, um, and it was just—it was a really just—it was a tragedy, and I thought it was just—it was beautiful. Yeah, super well done, super super well done. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's all really I want. We should talk about as far as Lost Stars go, and it's it's a high recommend. If if anybody has not picked up the new canon books yet, I would almost suggest that as your starting point. Absolutely. I don't know if that's if that's fair or not, but it, it's it's an easy read, and I think it's a good way to uh, dip your toe into the new canon mm-hmm. because of the familiar setting. Yet you're getting uh, a, a dose of new characters and uh, different points of view. So I I would definitely start there, I think, and then branch out. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point. Also, because not every Star Wars fan watches uh, Rebels. So if you were to say read the books chronologically from a released order, that first book was New Dawn, which was a, a Rebels book. Um, right. So I think I think with the new canon, like unless it's a direct sequel to something before, like the Aftermath series, like you could pretty much read them in any order, um, which is nice. Uh, so I think this is a good book, like you said, just to kind of get your, your feet wet and kind of get into the written material. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's jump over to another of Claudia Gray's works here, and we'll talk about the Leia, Princess of Alderaan book. Um, again, it's this is this is set in that period between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, though admittedly much closer to A New Hope. This is when Leia is just turning 16 on her day of demand, as they call it on Alderaan, the day where uh, the, the daughter of, I guess, Viceroy Organa, Bail Organa, and Queen Breha Organa, uh, declares herself as the heir to the throne. And you know, she's got to complete these challenges of the, of the heart, body, and mind, and successfully in order to uh, claim the throne, or the future of the throne. But what you, the first thing that jumped out to me, and this is more of a, a Star Wars lore thing, and it's almost a bit of a tangent, but it mentions in the early going that the palace on in Aldera City uh, was built a millennia ago. And you know, I keep thinking about that era in Star Wars. It, it keeps getting alluded to where the Sith have been ex- extinct for a millennia, and Yoda's a thousand years or close to a thousand years old, and Maz is that old. Uh, the formation of the Republic that has stood for a thousand years. All these things seem to have happened in and around that time period. And I don't know if this is purely coincidental, but I thought that, you know, things keep happening 1,000 years before uh, A New Hope, which is sort of our ground zero. Mm-hmm. Did that jump out at you? Um, yeah, I mean, just in like in the broad strokes, right? The thousand-year point. Um you know, they're treating this almost like how the Clone Wars were treated uh, in the OT, right? It was a period we talked about, but we didn't quite explore it yet. I, I'm i not going to go ahead and say it's a coincidence. I think I, I don't think there's any coincidences when there's a story group involved. I think... Um, <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> I, I definitely think there's a, a point and a purpose. Because um, you got to think, I mean, we are eventually are going to hit a dry spell, right? This new trilogy is going to stop. It's going to be a while till another trilogy comes out. You know, they're going to need some time, like, some periods to explore. Um, I hope one day we get there. Um, I think uh, they're kind of, right now, they're just kind of building that mystery. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they're, they keep hinting at things from this era to eventually, you know, lay the groundwork for, for, for a story to be told officially in that era or if they just, you know, if they hint at things enough in that era, we get enough of a, of a picture that they don't have to. Mm. I don't know, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how I, I, I want to talk about this book. I mean, we're not, we don't have enough time in the rest of the week to go through it, you know, uh, you know play by play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess broad strokes. I mean, we can go through this sort of looking at the main characters or we can just look at the main beats of the book yeah i mean sequentially we can kind of 
All right, so she, you know, she goes through her uh, her day of demand, um, you know, and she kind of goes on her humanitarian mission to Obani, right? That's kind of like the first chunk of the story. We can, we can yeah, start no, there. Well, I think we, we should, we could, yeah, we can start there, but we need, I think we need to preface it by saying that uh, the story sets up this sort of tension between Leia and her parents. And she, Leia feels like she's been getting the cold shoulder mm-hmm. from Bale and Breha for, for what feels like a while. And, and she can't figure out what's going on. Are, are they ignoring me? Like, is their work becoming more important? So as she's declaring this day of demand for herself and taking on this humanitarian mission, you know, she says, oh, we're going to go to Wobani and help the people there, which is an, a nice tie over to Rogue One. Um, you get the sense that it was more of a cry for attention <laughs> rather than her wanting to go help people, mm. which, of course, she wants to do. This is, this is Leia, after all. But you, I think... My, anyway, I got the impression that she was more trying to get her parents' attention to say, hey, I'm here... Hello, I, I, I'm helpful, and you're going to notice me one way or another. Which is a very 16-year-old thing of her to do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of teens, I, and it's something that you notice through the book, is that Claudia Gray captures sort of the, the teenager in everybody in this book, mm. where you kind of uh, stand apart from your parents, or, and you do things to defy them and grab their attention. Which is, you know, all part of transitioning from childhood into a young adult, which right. I think we'll touch on more as the, as the book goes on. But yeah, we see Leia, how, how resourceful and clever and compassionate she is throughout the entire book. And that's immediately evident on her trip to Wobani, where she, I think she wasn't ready for the amount of, of poverty and need mm-hmm. on the planet. It's, like, it's, it's essentially the same time as when we see Jin there on, on Rogue One, and it's a pretty crappy place right. to be. Right. And yet, so she's... she's Obviously, she didn't bring enough food on the tent to be four to supply everybody, but she you know she gives out what, what she can and um, decides, well, okay, we're going to help everybody here. Because there's an Imperial officer there, right, who's not really being very cooperative. And so she, she exploits a bit of a loophole where she says, okay, well, if I can't bring these people back to Alderaan as refugees, I can hire them as crew for the ship and they can come with me. So she gives each and every one of the people, or as many people as she can, I think about a hundred people, and gives them all official titles and then <laughs> brings them back to Alderaan, which is another like almost cry for attention from her parents because she hears it from both Bale and Breha in, in, for her actions there, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Uh, so I mean that's that's really the first salvo in this book, um, which I liked. It was it was you know, they labeled it a mercy mission, which is verbiage that we as OT fans recognize as uh, that first encounter with Vader on the tent before where he says you weren't on any mercy mission this time. So Claudia Gray throughout the book did a really great job in subtle ways of tying this to the OT. Um. Yeah, I mean, and again, there was a, there was a consequence, right, of her of her trip to Wobani, whereby because she did that and she she you know she pissed off a lot of people in the Empire and made things a little more difficult for herself or for the people of Wobani that she wasn't able to help. 
And so you get this, um, and it does happen more than once in the book, where, where Leia's brash actions sort of have these consequences, which is a, a nice hearkening over to The Last Jedi, where you know everybody in that movie fails. Yeah. And everybody has to learn from their failures. And in this book, Leia has to learn from, from her numerous failures. Mm. And I think there, there's, a, there's an added layer um, as fans, uh, <laughs> knowing what happens to Alderaan. Um, and then there's these people she's, uh, she's freeing from Wubani and bringing to Alderaan. <laughs> Um, and then eventually, because I know I think at one point as well, it's like, we don't want to leave. This is our new home now. And now we know what happens to them in a new hope. Um, there's just kind of that added level of, of tragedy, I think. It's like a, um, what, what is it? The, it's like a dramatic irony, right? We know something the characters don't. So it's like we know the fate of the people she saved. <laughs> yeah, it's very short-lived. Um, which, which is very sad. <laughs> Well, this is something that I think is sorely lacking. Because when Alderaan is destroyed in A New Hope, for like for me, it was never a big deal. Because we don't know the people there. We don't know the place. We only knew Leia. And only her reaction... I mean, her reaction was all that we had to go by. And so, you know, yes, it was, obviously it's devastating to lose your home planet, but it's something that kind of fell flat for me anyway. Like, Again, you destroyed a planet full of people. That is awful. But there was no kind of uh, emotional tie in A New Hope. So I, doing this book really helped fill that gap because you met a lot of people on Alderaan and a, a lot of different places on the planet. So next time I watch A New Hope, I think I'll have a different perspective when that planet goes boom. Right. I th- I think a lot of what, what's great a lot about like the new canon anyway, they've kind of been um, filling in those emotional gaps, right? Not just with Alderaan, but, um, you know, kind of on a larger scale, right? The, uh, the, um, the, the design flaw in the Death Star um, was kind of retcon there and uh, kind of filling in those, that, those gaps that, you know, when you go back and watch A New Hope, you know, with new eyes, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I missed that when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's on the optimistic side, it's deepening the story. And if you're a, if you're a cynic, you're just saying, well, it's, it's, it's a, you know, filling in plot holes with, you know, using, using uh, exterior materials like books and comics and what have you mm-hmm. and uh, standalone movies to fill in plot holes that maybe should have been explained the first time. But I, th- I think a more realistic way to look at it is you know, the OT was such a big story told over about six and a half hours that like, you, there's only so much you can do. And that's what these, these extra books and, and again, the standalones and comics, that's what these things are for. To help tell those additional stories that help plug some of those uh, little gaps in the timeline mm-hmm. and, and in some cases some missing logic and that's 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 what i love about what's going on here right i mean star wars doesn't have like the luxury of being able to go back and producing a six hour special edition like say the lord of the rings films staff you know um right it's kind of like we have what was filmed and that was it pretty much um 
Yeah, so I mean, jumping around a little bit here, uh, I th- the early part of the book, I, mean, I, I Claudia Gray did, I mean, did a fan- like a superb job of capturing Leia's voice and character. Like, she, they really nailed how how smart and caring and defiant and curious that she like she is. Like throughout the book, you, it's a character that just doesn't back down at any point, right? Nope. Nope, she's she's extremely headstrong, which, um, which is consistent with her character throughout the story, um, or just throughout all of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And like she, whenever, whenever Bail or Brea told her to back off something, and this is again a, a theme that any teenage anybody who's ever been a teenager, which is everybody listening, um, when your parents act one way. You know, but tell you to act another way or you know they, they give you the whole do as i say not as i do type spiel and they're trying to steer you down one path but they're clearly going down another themselves and you don't like it and that that's a lot a lot of the book revolves around that sort of theme and it leads leia to crate like she's she's investigating something we have to. I guess we have to mention that she, <clears throat> she becomes a member of the uh, junior, was it junior legislative senate or something like that. Junior senate, or yeah, I, f- I forget the I forget she, the official title. Yeah, and they I mean, they get thrown little jobs here, like discuss amongst yourselves which of you know this handful of planets is going to get this aid or something like that. But of course, one thing leads to another, and Leia's investigating some tri- some some. Uh, odd-looking traffic patterns and they all lead her to this uncharted place called crate you know after all this is a a book leading us in this is what journey to the last jedi right was the campaign Mm -hmm. for this book so no surprise that we get a you know a a big easter egg in crate and so the book uh, we end up there at a certain point and she doesn't know what she's about to face and lo and behold when she's taking air quotes captive and brought in she's brought face to face with her dad and we, you know we've we've been told that it was an old rebellion era hideout but we didn't know that bail was you know pretty much well, we always knew that bail was behind the rebellion but from leia's perspective she didn't know so we're kind of following leia into this place and it's just it was a great scene when when leia comes face to face with her dad and you know she she thought you know, she was going to have to get aggressive and she, like blast her way out of a situation. It turns out her dad was there. <laughs> Something I like, um, and this is just kind of tying to another Claudia Gray novel uh, with Bloodline. Um, she seems, you know, with with her Leia-centric books um, out of her three, she gets these big pivotal um, revelations, which I think is she handles very well, right? So this the central revelation right for leia is how she finds out about the rebellion um you know that kind of reminded me how in bloodline which came out before this um that central revelation was the galaxy finding out about her and darth vader um so i don't know if that's just done intentionally they're giving claudia gray these big revelations or that's just you know she's filling in the kind of those you know we knew had to happen at some point 
but we can only like just imagine, right? I like how she's bringing these central revelations um, to light. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that, right? She 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 stumbles upon the rebellion through her own uh, you know headstrongness, if that's a word, and also in, in Bloodline, she also kind of discovers the First Order, mm-hmm. or at least more more of the true nature of the growing First Order. Which is an interesting, you know, two sides of the same coin there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just shows just kind of, you know, it further strengthens that natural leadership quality that Leia has. Um, you know, she's natu- she's headstrong, like we've been saying, naturally inquisitive, um, and also, like, longing for a purpose. I think she, right. she's constantly longing for a purpose. Right. You know, is it as a junior senator? No. You know, she wants now she she sees that her parents are part of the rebellion. Now she wants a part of that. She sees that the First Order is an issue. You know, it's her new identity to take down the First Order. Um, You know, she is a a person who, who can't go through life without some kind of central meaning driving her. Yeah, absolutely. (coughs) Excuse me. Like she always felt like. Yeah, being part of the junior senate was was great and all, but kind of ineffective. Which you know we learn in a new hope that you know, the, the senate's dissolved. It was kind of useless anyway. What 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 use is a senate under an emperor? They're all puppets, and I think Leia kind of sensed that to begin with. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like she, Leia always had this strong internal drive, and the, the, the more layers of the onion. She peeled as she kind of got closer and closer to what her parents were doing, the more she wanted a part of it. And it, w- it was funny to watch as Bale and uh, her parents were trying to steer her away from this, saying, you can't be a part of this. You know, if, if we're discovered, you know, it's, it's going to have drastic, dire consequences for us, and we need to protect you from this. Even if, even if it just buys you one more day, like we have to do this for you, and she was really kind of having none of it. She wanted to be with them. She wanted to contribute, and by the end of the book, I mean, she's she's pretty much a full on rebel. Um. So how about uh, the scene where Leia gets to unknowingly use the Force? Yes. Um. So I. Part of me wishes I had read that prior to The Last Jedi. Um, only because I think contextually, right, it would have prepped us a little more for the Leia scene where she uses the Force in The Last Jedi. Um, I I don't know. I, I mean, I loved it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it was done subtly enough, right? Um, it, was, it was when she was on that mountaineering mission, right? And she was she was climbing the, what, the side of a mountain mm-hmm. and she was kind of really stuck in a bad s- situation and she like sort of just felt this like this power within her that helped her get out of a really bad spot along with with the, her climbing partner right mm-hmm. right right um and but you're right though it's it it is a bit of a primer to get ready for for a force using leia in the last jedi and I think when I when I got through with this book, 
and, it's, and again with the Legends of Luke Skywalker book, it's a, it's, it was a feeling of this really would have helped moviegoers if they had... It really would have helped moviegoers reading these and then going to see The Last Jedi. And that's, again, Journey to the Last Jedi. That These books were for that purpose. But not, when you go to any given movie theater, 99% of the people in that theater aren't going to read those books. Right. So I, I, I don't know if you needed to read those books, but I think in some cases for the people that were not comfortable with the Luke that was given or Leia using the Force, yeah, these books may have helped you. Right. I mean, you could say you could say that you know the hints were there even back in the original trilogy, right? The way Yoda, sure. The way Yoda talks about Leia, right? It's there. It's more subtle, but um. You know, but there is another. You know that that's all there. Um, well, even in, in the from a certain point of view book, we learn that Yoda was hoping to train Leia and not Luke. Mm. Of the of the two Skywalker twins, she was the more more powerful one, more serious minded, more focused one. Luke was just the slacker on Tatooine, looking to bullseye womp rats. Right, right. Um, so. I mean, I think I think the context is there. I think on face value, not to get into a Last Jedi rant, but on face value, sure, it's jarring. But contextually, the hints are there. Sure. Uh, how about our friend Tarkin? Mm. Several appearances in this book, all of them kind of chilling. The way, the way Claudia Gray describes him... She almost makes him feel like a skeleton warmed over. Like he's just such a creep. You always got that sense that Tarkin was just a hard-assed creep. Yeah. And she nails him in this. I so just uh, jumping ahead. I think it's 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 toward, closer towards the end of the book. That conversation that they had though, where he's asking her about, um, you know, like one day leading Alderaan and, and, and pretty much hinting towards her parents' deaths and it's just very chilling. Um, and that's pretty much what ultimately tipped her off on, uh, you know, him knowing about Bale and her mom. Um, right. But just, yeah, yeah that conversation she knew that... was just, oh, I loved it. Yeah, there's this, yeah. So earlier in the book, uh, Leia comes or discovers uh, a, a massing rebel fleet. It's it's almost like a shipyard or a ship dock of of the beginning of the re- the rebellion fleet being constructed on a, out near a planet called Pacris Major. And the Empire knows about it, but I guess they were just waiting to catch everybody red-handed before they went and annihilated them. And Leia kind of discovers that Tarkin knows, and so she you know she alerts Mon Mothma and her mother that she, oh, the Empire knows about what what. What's going on over there? And we have to, we have to save Dad because that's where Bale was. And so they, they say, well, you have to kind of go because if I go or if your mom goes, it's gonna send alarm bells. So you're gonna have to go over there and <laughs> tell everybody to evacuate. And that's sort of the climax of the book. Mm-hmm. But yeah, oh, just that that conversation with Tarkin, all their interactions throughout the book, just do a perfect job of setting the stage for the frosty relationship in a new hope when they're just kind of snarking each other on, on the bridge of the death star. Right. It's just, it's a frosty relationship. They're really 
cheeky to one another. And it, it that is captured here. That The setup of that is just perfect here. Yeah, Tarkin's one of those characters that I feel like has really been shining in the new canon, which is so interesting. Um, just even outside Leia, right? Rogue One, Catalyst, um, his own novel, right? There's just so... We've gotten a steady dose of Tarkin. So much. In Rebels? And Rebels, absolutely. Yep, there's been a lot of Tarkin. I guess which is natural in between... You know, a lot of the books have taken place in between uh, Sith and A New Hope. So instead of constantly pounding us with Vader and Emperor, which would get old, I think, put in the next best thing, which is Tarkin. Um, Yeah, there was, well, there was that scene also as well with Tarkin, which was almost verging on comical. Because I was, at this point, I was listening on the audiobook and uh, all these rebelling senators, they're, they're plotting and they're, you know, or they're they're going to discuss their their plans over a dinner party, and in comes Tarkin, and he just come uh, arrives unannounced, and they're all kind of aghast at this guy who's just crashed their party, and so they all have to like kind of shift awkwardly and change the the, the tone of the conversation. And Tarkin's there because he's he's prodding for answers and he's trying to assess the tone in the room and see what's you know look at every look at everybody in the eye and just find out just how guilty these people are. And they all kind of put on this act where, uh, Bale, <laughs> Bale is no, is it Breha, Breha who accuses, uh, Bale and Mon Mothma of having an affair. <laughs> I think that's what goes on there. And I, I'm listening to, and I was, I guess at that point I was only half paying attention and I was like, wait a minute, what? Right. Right. <laughs> what has happened here? So I had to back it up a few minutes just to refocus myself and go, Oh, this, this is an act. And then you know, Leia kind of, as, as a child, as a 16-year-old, puts on an act and starts crying about the, this whole thing. And it's kind of breaking her heart that her dad and her dad is cheating with Mon Mothma. And her mom is a, just losing her mind over all this. And Tarkin is disgusted. It was all an act uh, to get Tarkin to leave. Because he's, he's super prim and proper. He doesn't put up with this inappropriate behavior from it was almost like a such people it was like a real housewife scene <laughs> something out of one of those bro- pretty much yeah <laughs> pretty much and so he at a certain point he's just he's just disgusted and he's like yeah you people need to get your act together you're embarrassing the empire here <laughs> the next time i'll come i will you know, i won't show up unannounced so that you can you know make sure that everything is according to Whatever. Like he just he just did not like the scene. <laughs> oh, it was great. But yeah, one of the you know, here's something a, a scene in the book that really stuck out for me, and I did mm-hmm. not see this coming because I was not very spoiled on this book. Uh, but being reintroduced to Captain Panaka. Ah, uh, yes, and that uh, was freaky. Yeah, and the realization that he has right, he can sense who Leia is. Yeah, right, oh. exactly. So he he's he's living he's uh, he's a moff now. He's not a grand moff like Tarkin, but he's a, he's moff Panaka. And he's he's risen the ranks in the empire. And he's he's loyal to Palpatine. Of course, Palpatine is from Naboo. So we can't I guess it would be easy to fault Panaka and say he's turned bad, but he hasn't. He's still the same guy. And there's there was nothing untoward or cruel about the guy in this book. 
but he's just he's loyal to the emperor who hails from his planet. He just he doesn't see what we see sitting in the god seat, knowing that the empire is is terrible. So he's you know, he's living on his moon, and Leia shows up. I forget why she was there. I mean, this part of the book I felt is maybe not as tight as the rest of the book, and I'll get to I'll get to why in, in just a second. But they show up to uh, Panaka's house, and right away, like you said, he just he takes a look at at her, and he's like, "Whoa!" And not that Carrie Fisher looks anything like Natalie Portman, but in this world, suspend your disbelief and just yeah, he goes, "Wow!" Like, holy smokes! He he doesn't tell her that. He doesn't say anything to Leia, but you can tell that he recognizes immediately who she is. It's the hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's maybe the hair. <laughs> and he, he starts asking questions like, oh, when were you born? And she's, oh, yeah, just after the Clone Wars ended. And he's like, <gasps> like it, all, all of his assumptions about her, he asks questions about, and they all come back positive. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he doesn't come out and say it, but he knows. And I... Leia only really knows half truths about her parents, her real parents. And so when she when when their meeting's over and she leaves, like I, I think he makes mention of the fact that he's he's gonna call Palpatine an informer of who he's just spoken with. Right. Which which is which is bad. <laughs> hey Palpy, you're not gonna believe this. I just spoke to Anakin Skywalker's daughter. <laughs> or I guess he would have said I just spoke to Amadala's daughter. Like, she's she's alive. I know that I just spoke with her. And then, oh, guess what? She's the princess of Alderaan. That would not have gone well for anybody. Hmm. But the part that struck me next is as Leia, was was Holdo with her at that point? Or was it, or was it Kier? They, they kind of swap in. And oh out, no! It right? was it was it was um, no! It was the other female pilot that was sort of assigned to hang out with her f- throughout the first half of the book. Okay, I forget her name. <clears throat> I'm at a, I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, me neither. Not important. Um. Yeah, then Panaka's house explodes, and he's of course killed. So nice to know you, Captain Panaka. Now he's dead. But we and we find out later that uh, through I think through Bale that or was it Mon Mothma? Well, anyway, one of the main figureheads tell us that it was Saw Gerrera and his partisans that killed Panaka. But we were never given a motive as to why. Or maybe I missed it. Do you know why they chose then and there to kill Panaka? I can't remember. And I don't think we well we don't get much with Saw anyway. Um, yeah, he's he's alluded to twice in the book, I think, but we never see him. Right, we don't see him, and so we don't get a, any explanation from him in particular. I think we're just supposed to assume he's you know this is pre Rogue One, so he's going around being kind of you know that extreme rebel uh, that the rebellion kind of knows him for. Um, yeah, he's definitely way down that path of being a nuisance for the rebellion and they do mention that in the book but i to me this was it was that that was maybe one of my complaints about the book where why why was panaka killed mm-hmm. a little bit and of a the, deuce ex machina i mean i think if he were to recognize leia 
and to say something to the emperor, it kind of would have muddled the motives in the original trilogy a little bit, right? Oh, well, the, the entire timeline changes. It would have just like, we we don't get the OT at that point. Yeah, it would become it would be so different. Um, so I think they kind of they wanted to have that moment of a connection to Naboo, but they couldn't have that thread hanging. It couldn't continue. Yeah, it could not continue. That that message could never get to to Palpatine. Right. But I just I just wish I knew why or what the motivation was in that moment for Saw or whichever of his partisans did it. Mm-hmm. What was their motivation in killing Panaka then? And is it possible that they knew who Leia was and knew that word could would not be allowed to get back? I mean, I don't know that that's even possible. Right. There's no way that they knew who Leia was, right? No. And again, if they did, that also would have changed Rogue One and the OT. So... Yeah, so that's a bit of a question mark for me. I don't know if anybody listening has read the book and understands why that happened. I'd love to hear it. But yeah, for me, that was one of the things where I was like, huh, that's awfully convenient. Okay, then. And you killed Panaka in the process. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having a little bit of a blank of Revenge of the Sith. He wasn't there during the birth, was he? No, it was... Panaka? Right, no, it was Obi-Wan and Bale... Yeah, Panaka, we didn't see him again after The Phantom Menace. Right, so... Attack of the Clones, we had Captain Typho, mm-hmm. who I think is Panaka's nephew. And then in Revenge of the Sith, I don't think... I don't believe Leia had any detail. Certainly mm-hmm. not with her, but... Um, Padme, sorry. Padme had no security detail with her. Not even in the background, I don't think. Right, so I'm trying to think how he... I mean, I guess, did, didn't she spend time pregnant on Naboo? And then came to Anakin? I'm trying to just remember, like, how would he even know she was pregnant? Um, uh, you know what? We're trying to do some mental gymnastics to make this work, and I think the simple answer is it just doesn't. <laughs> I think he was killed because reasons, and because Saw's a nut job, and this is what he does, but it just seemed like very curious timing to me. Right, right. <laughs> no, that's true. Anyway, so the book, yeah, the, I mean, the book goes on and on and on. And um, the climax of the book, <clears throat> like we were, we were talking about it just not too long ago, is Leia on a mission with Amelyn Holdo, who I guess we'll talk about more in a few minutes, uh, to go and save her dad and the Rebellion. I mean, this is really the earliest formation of the rebellion, the Rebel fleet, Leia has to go save it from from destruction because she knows that it's only a matter of time before the Empire uh, shows up at Pocris Minor, or Major, sorry, to to obliterate what's there or capture who's there and give them a very public execution. Uh, so in a lot of ways, Leia kind of saves the rebellion, right? Well, yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, like, like we already talked about the kind of the conversation she has with Tarkin, but that, like, just that sense of immediacy, um, right, because right after she talks, she calls, she, what, hollow calls, or whatever, I don't even know what they call it, but she calls Bale first, 
mom first? Who 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 does she? Call? She, she calls she calls Mon Mothma, Mothma and her mother. Mm-hmm. They have a little three way f- like FaceTime call, <laughs> and they're. <laughs> Yeah, like they both they both decide that they can't go. Neither one of them can go because it would raise alarm bells. Because I think that there was a a session of the Senate that was supposed to happen, and whatever they had to be there, blah blah blah. So Leia had to go, of course. Uh, and she she heads over there with um, Emily and Holdo, and they do get away. Like she does show up in time, and they do kind of pack up the fleet and get out before the Empire shows up. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, we—that's a very quick glossing over of the book. Um, but we can—we can talk about some of the other characters that we didn't touch on so much. Um, let, let's let's look at Kier, who was, uh, I guess, for all intents and purposes, Leia's first love, which I thought maybe would be more controversial than it is. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people are saying, oh, no, Leia has to be, or Han has to be Leia's first love, and vice versa. Like, Han can't really have another girlfriend or anything before Leia. Like, come on, don't be such a cheese ball. Like, these people didn't live like monks. Right, I mean, there's a difference between first love, true love, I mean, who you end up with, um... I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that when they are teenagers, there's going to be people that they come across that they try to make it work with. I mean, she's 16. Teenagers get crushes, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a thing. Well, that's, and that's, that's what happens. <laughs> so she falls for this kid who's very prim and proper, and he's noble just like her. And it turns out he's sort of the inverse of Han. When you really think about it, this guy has nothing in common with Han, except for maybe that he's got, I, I think he was described as having dark hair and good looking. That's where the similarities ended, is he was sort of the, the mirror image, or sorry, the, the inverted image of Han at every step of the way after that. Right, the anti-scoundrel. Yeah, yeah, he was always you know, dressed super well, and he was well groomed and blah 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 well spoken and yeah it w- but it was how did you feel seeing leia sort of um having having these romantic feelings for for somebody else it was for me it was kind of like hey <laughs> <laughs> but i obviously i get it and it, right. it, i think it's something that needed needed to be part of this book um, and yeah. It lends, it lends a little bit of credibility to that line in Empire where she says, I, I happen to like nice men. <laughs> Kira is probably now the retcon guy she's referring to in that line. Right, right. Um, I mean, I th- again, it just kind of de- more, it, it humanizes her more in a sense, right? She, you know, we know her more as like, you know, a rebellion hero. Um, you know, whereas in this book really, you know, shows us a little more of where she's coming from. You know, she, you know, isn't wasn't always the Leia that we know. Um, there's a lot of these teenage kinks that we have to work out as we grow up, right? So, um, yeah, of course, I, I ship Han and Leia, of course. Um, <laughs> don't we all? Um, but I loved kind of seeing that, like, not awkward teen phase, but just like that, you know, 
spreading her wings and trying to be a whole person. Yep, trying to claim purpose for herself, trying to, I guess, be her, be an individual, be independent, and have an impact. Which is a, sounds a lot like her parents, right? Or at least like her dad. Mm-hmm. Really wanted that that life of, of meaning and consciousness. Um, yeah, and you know, not I, I, we shouldn't spoil this part, so we won't. But um, yeah, I mean, needless to say, she she falls pretty hard for Kier, and it adds a very interesting dynamic <clears throat> to the novel, and one one that I, I think it feels very natural. But you, I mean, you see right through it almost from the minute he's introduced. You know that these two are going to end up being boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever you want to call it at that point. Uh, For sure, that was only going to end one way. Um, This book also introduced us to... I'm dying, man. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) It also introduced us to Amelyn Holdo, who is crackers in this book. I like her a lot in this book. Um, you know, I've you know I heard people compare it to Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter, um, which I don't think that comparison is very far off at all. Um, very quirky. Um, very quirky. You know, just I, I love like I think it's happened. It happened multiple times in the book where there'd be like a conversation happening, and they they cut to her and she's doing some bizarre stretches in the hallway or just doing something weird. <laughs> Yeah, and she would always, like, they'd be having this very serious conversation, the junior senators, about, you know, the the urgency of the moment. And they're all, you know, trying to figure out what to do. What to do. Mm-hmm. And here's Holdo with this, like, euphemism. Out of this abstract euphemism or quote from a philosopher about something. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> but she's, like, later on they discover, oh, that's what she's talking about. Yeah, she was right on the money. Right, right, just in this roundabout way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, she's she was a very bizarre bird uh-huh. in this book, but very, very likable. Um, also, I don't know if she's the first instance we've gotten of this in Star Wars. Um, she's I don't even know the word uh, omnisexual. Maybe I don't know. She dates aliens. She dates humans. She's just kind of. You remember that conversation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was there was one line, which I think you could take either way, right? Where she's, I, I think, I think she had caught on to Leia and her the, the crush that was developing between, or the, the crush that she was developing for Kier. And yeah, Holdo said that, you know, or no, Leia says that she she prefers like humanoid males. To which Holdo replies, well, that's kind of limiting. And I think that was the line where people kind of just said, well, she she likes everybody. She's, she's like you said, the an omnisexual. Just, I like everybody. <laughs> right. Open to love. But, I mean, that was really the one and only reference to that aspect of her character throughout the entire book. Right, right. And, and The Last Jedi, for that matter. Yeah, not even mentioned in The Last Jedi. Um, Did Claudia Gray ever comment? I mean, I, I don't know that we got clarification either way. I mean, it wouldn't have wouldn't be there mm-hmm. if she wasn't alluding to something. 
But has she ever commented? I don't think, I don't think so. The only Claudia Gray comment I know isn't even about Haldo. I know she commented on her inspiration for Kier, and it's uh, the actor Rami Malek from iRobot. That's who she based that character. I don't know. Do you know that actor? No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I've seen that movie a bunch of times, but I don't know the actor. Uh, no, the, the the show. Did I say movie? The show iRobot. Um, oh, oh, is that? Not, no, the, not, not the Will Smith movie? Mr. Robot. Nope. Don't know that one he either. Was, he, he plays a hacker. Um, and it's with uh, Christian Slater. Yeah. No. From Heather's. Is that Christian Slater? Yes, yeah. that is Christian Slater. Yeah, yeah. It's with Christian Slater um, and Robbie Malik and, and a few other. Portia Doubleday, she's in it. A few other actors. Um, yeah, no, he's a, he's actually a really good actor. I think look-wise, she based it off of him. I forget where he's from. He's got, like, darker skin, short black hair. Um, kind of handsome. <laughs> he, I'm drawing blanks, man. <laughs> uh, well, look, Robbie Malik. Look him up. He's cool. But, yeah, I'll that's the only up. comment I know um, is she made about Kier. Um, as far as Holdo, I don't think I don't know if she addressed it, um, but I think I think the reader could allude, as, as, as most readers have. I, th- I think it's pretty, it's one subtle line, but I think it's explicit enough where we could allude it from that. Um, yeah, like I said, it wouldn't it wouldn't be there if it didn't mean anything, right? Um, but also about Holdo, compare it. So comparing the Holdo we get in the book versus the Holdo we get in the movie. Do you do you think she should have been like portrayed a little more quirky in the Last Jedi? Do you think that was just a natural progression of becoming an adult? Um, how do you take yeah. it? Yeah, I I think the yeah, I mean physically you got the perfect description of like she was kind of described as like a tall, gangly, really thin girl, mm-hmm. which of course they nailed with Laura Dern and the the purple hair and the garish gowns again they they nailed that but you never got the sense of holdo being all that quirky right. maybe a little bit um i actually you know what i not really the personality did not really line up that well i don't mm-hmm. think i mean not until a little bit at the end right where she's like talking about poe and he's like she's like he's a troublemaker or something I like him. Yeah. Um, I which which makes me believe that the plan that she had with Leia all along in the Last Jedi was pretty much Holdo putting on an act for the purpose of the resistance. Um and she kind of needed to hone her quirkiness in order to to lead or to bring out the best in Poe. Yeah, and well, there was also that that thought from Leia in the book that, yeah, she's she's noble, but she's probably not very useful in a crisis. Mm. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Now she has the whole Holdo maneuver, named after her for her troubles, right? Right. No, I I liked Holdo. I thought she was sort of, uh, I guess, I, I guess added levity to the book. Although she she wasn't cracking jokes, but there was a lightness to her character that kind of brought the mood up. She always seemed to be very optimistic and happy, regardless. Right. And she she really she saves Leia's bacon at the end when she arrives back to Alderaan. 
and there's sort of an imperial, not an imperial blockade, but there's, she's questioned by an imperial officer in orbit. Where were you been? You know, the ionization around your ship suggests that you just visited a planet that we were investigating. And of course, they're talking about where she had just saved the, the, rebel, uh, the rebel fleet. And right off the top of her head, Holdo goes, no, nah, we were just, we were at such and such planet, which, which would give their ship the same sort of ionization level. Hmm. Right, and then right, she right. starts flirting with the guy and making him feel uncomfortable. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, go along. Move. Get out of here. <laughs> you know, you don't want to talk to me anymore? He's like, yeah, just go, go, go. <laughs> Which was nice to see. Yeah, I appreciate the character. I, I Yeah. Um. Okay, so I, any, I guess we can start tackling any stray thoughts that you had on the book. Um, if anything comes to mind. I, I don't know. We hit on kind of like the main... Um, I mean, going back, I think just like my highlight, I just really enjoyed that early Wobani stuff. Um, yeah, just the plan that she came up with. Um, I wasn't expecting a Rogue One tie-in, so I like that. I think right off the hop, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, because I kind of like, well, you know, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, finish your thought. No, no, I was just saying, like, I, you know, I, I, I am a, I appreciate. That they're you know they come up with these new planets, but they don't just leave them hanging, right? I feel like they can come up with countless planets, and you know in the novels all these planets get name dropped, and it's like all right, cool, right? You're naming all these systems, but I really want to explore them, you know. So I was just happy to see more follow through in exploring these new uh, systems and locations. But that was just kind of yeah, first first stray thought. But go ahead. I know you were saying something. Yeah, well, like this this novel, I mean, it tied to pretty much all eras of Star Wars. I mean, it, it hit on the prequels when we visited Naboo, and it touched on the Clone War eras by mentioning planets like uh, Christophsis, mm-hmm. and it alluded to the to the Clone Wars many times. Uh, Rebels, they, they, I think Lothal was mentioned once. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, Crate, of course. I mean, it, it touched on everything. It just really made you made it feel like this was a a very solid piece of the very interconnected Star Wars web. I really, really appreciated all the subtle ties, and it's even referencing her own work, like in Bloodline, um, Pamarth. The planet was was visited in this planet as well, or in this story as well, which which I oh I love to see these these threads connected like that. I love that. Which I, I mean, which is. A strength, I think, of keeping a solid writing team, right? I mean, I think when you bring in too many authors, it's a lot of voices. And obviously, you, you want a fresh take. But it's nice to have some authors who have, you know, kind of their brand or their, their, their thumbprint on it. That way they can remember things like these planets that they've mentioned and they can kind of have more of a follow-through. Absolutely. Uh, how did you feel about Bale and Brea as, as parents? I mean, what was your impression of them? Because we've, I mean, we've met Bale a few times. Actually, a bunch of times when you consider Clone Wars as well. But we've only seen Brea once, and that was in a non-speaking role. Mm-hmm. So what were your impressions of them as parents before reading this book and then after right i mean it's interesting because you know when leia's 
questioning their parenting and, you know, questioning why they're kind of, you know, keeping her by the wayside a little bit. Um, you know, it's tough because it's like, you know, you, obviously you can't judge them because you you get it. We we as readers know what's going on behind the curtain there. Um, but I, I like that dynamic. Um, you know, I don't really know if I have too much to say about Brea particularly. Um, I didn't dislike her. Um, I like what having her character there did for Leia. If that make it, if that makes any sense. Well, it was finally, it was good for once to see a mother daughter relationship. We don't have any of that in Star Wars except for a very quick flash of uh, Jin and her mother, mm-hmm. Lyra, in in uh, Rogue One. And if you read Catalyst, of course, you got more of it there. But to see Leia, who we've been with for you know our whole lives, essentially, connecting with her mom, um, I think that was needed in, in Star Wars. There's just there's just none of that type of relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that we're not getting that in the movies, because um, like you said, one percent of us are reading the books, right? <laughs> of overall Star Wars fans, right? There's not much yeah. of us. Um, so I think, you know, Star Wars is finally getting their finger on the pulse of having strong female characters, but as far as healthy mother-daughter relationships, um, yeah, they have a little bit of ways to go, but I, I, but I appreciate that we're getting that at least in the written material. Um, yeah, so I definitely echo that. Well, and their dynamic as a family kind of was on a bit of a roller coaster, right? Where the book starts where Leia's sort of very apprehensive mm-hmm. and upset with her parents for seemingly abandoning her and being too wrapped up in their own affairs. But really, like you said, as as we know what's really going on behind the scenes, they're forming the rebellion. It's it's work that they're that is obviously critical, but also that they wanted to keep Leia sheltered from. They did not want her they didn't want her to have a part of it at all if they, if they could have had their their preference but particularly at that stage of her life they felt like well, she's a kid she's 15 16 years old like no <laughs> she can be spared this at least for a little while longer uh, but if, you know, Leia pushes and pushes and pushes and they could no longer keep her out of it right right I mean it was nice to see that they wanted what was best for her but they couldn't um yeah they couldn't stop the inevitable and they they slowly came to realize that over the course of the book. Because how many times in the book does do you have that very real father daughter uh, mother daughter moment where they're they're angry with Leia, saying you can't keep doing this. Like you are really playing with fire here. You're going to get us all killed. Not only killed, but you're going to have our planet destroyed. Like there's there was so many reminders, especially from the Organas. That the war was coming and the Empire is, they're, they're a lot worse than what you think. And they will not, they won't show us mercy. They won't, like, we're not as safe as you might think we are. And even at that, it was still sad because as far as they, their minds never went as far as, well, they'll, they'll obliterate this planet. Yeah, they you know they yeah. they had sort of envisioned what the empire could do to this world, but it was never 
what actually becomes of that world, which was so tragic, I thought. Mm-hmm. They had no idea what was what was coming. Yeah. And they they knew it too, right? Like they were they knew war was coming and they kept talking about the inevitability of war. And it's like, "Oh, you poor saps. You have no <laughs> idea what's in line for your planet." Um I did kind of, you know, cuz with the with the connections to Rogue One and a lot of stuff playing through I you know, their relationship especially with um uh bail and leia you know the scene in rogue one kept playing in my head i would trust her with my life um that line kind of just kept sticking out to me um as i was reading this because uh, you know a lot of this was leia trying to prove that she could be trusted right and then ultimately saving the you know the startup fleet of the rebellion so i just kind of i thought let, lend credence to that and yeah like I said, that, that line just kept playing in my head. Yeah, he, he did say a, a couple times, right? Bale saying, I, I, do, I trust Leia with my life. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is all so sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a scene, I, I think maybe during another one of their outdoor expeditions, but mm-hmm. seeing Leia as a teenager just having fun. You know, they're out just she's literally out with her teenage friends from the junior legislative senate whatever it was but they were actually just getting lost in the moment of being teenagers and i don't know if they were having a snowball fight or whatever mm-hmm. but they were just outdoors a little bit not not quite downtime but they just got swept up in being teens and it was having fun it was it's like literally the only time throughout the saga where you see leia having fun and it was it was a very sweet moment, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're right. Actually, throughout the whole saga, that's it. Like, we, we get that one, unless we get another novel somewhere down the line. Um, or a comic, but... It's it's nice, because, yeah, all, all we've known from Leia is war and sacrifice and, and just fighting for their lives. Loss. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that was refreshing to see. Um, but, but again, yeah. so bittersweet, right? Because... Beyond that, there's really nothing. Mm-hmm. And of course, like there was some sweet, vulnerable moments between Leia and her dad, where she just—it was—it was a child going to her parent because she needed them, and she just she wanted that that comfort that a, that a parent can bring. So all these moments that you know that they're they're so short-lived for Leia. There's there's not going to be a whole lot of them. Yeah, I th- I think, I mean I don't think this is a connection at all, but. Also, just kind of that that youthful moment, right, of being kids, and maybe also kind of think of Broom Kid and the the Canto Bite Kids. Um, Broom Boy. Yeah, I'm bringing this in. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I just think you know, there's that there's that hopefulness, right, in childhood. Um, you know, if Star Wars is all about hope, right, who's more hopeful than a child, right? Um, exactly. So I don't know. It'd be nice to see. This is a little bit of a, cha- a tangent. I don't know if we're going to go back to those Canto Bite kids. I don't know if it has I anything. Don't think so. I don't know. Or if, how, how big of a role kids are going to play in, in this saga moving forward. Um, it'd be, I think it'd be nice somewhere to follow four sensitive kids or just kids in general. I think um, especially, especially if you want to instill some kind of hope in the saga, where, you know, wherever the story goes. You know, wherever it pops up along the timeline. Um, yeah, 
Sorry. Just a stream of consciousness I'm throwing at you. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it is, it is valid because, yeah. you know, when you talk to friends, and I'm a bit older than you. Actually, I'm significantly older. So when I talk to people my age about, oh, who would you cast in Star Wars? I mean, you, you typically cast people that you know. So the guys I know are like Michael Fassbender and Idris Elba. And like these names that, you know, they're huge actors that can do anything. These guys are all incredible actors. But when you think about it, you go, okay, fine. These guys could absolutely be in these movies. Mm-hmm. But the core of the, the core cast is always kids. You know what I mean? It's Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. They were 19 years old. And uh, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, kids. Poe is not young, but he's not old either. Harrison Ford was in his early 30s. So we have to get past the, or at least I do, people my age have to get past the idea that, you know, you're going to have a Star Wars movie or a a saga with like a 40-year-old as the central figure. It's going to be a young person. Right. Always is, always was. And probably when it comes to a saga, probably always will be. And so, yeah, and, you know, I'm totally disconnected from younger actors. I don't know them nearly as well as I know the ones I've been following for years and years. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the secret sauce with Star Wars. It's, it focuses around youthful exuberance and naivete and all that stuff. I mean, I don't think it necessarily, they need to necessarily cast famous young people, right? I mean, Daisy, Daisy Ridley was a, not a well-known at all. Um, no, Natalie Portman wasn't. Natalie I mean, Portman at the time wasn't. In, yeah, she'd been in The Professional and Mars Attacks. That was really it. Um, Jake Lloyd was mm-hmm. uh, Jingle All the Way. <laughs> right. Uh, John Boyega hasn't done much before that. Um, I mean, I had, I, I saw him in, um, was that Attack, Attack the, Block? the Block? Yeah, I saw him in Attack the Block. Um, but even then, like, when he was cast, I, I didn't recognize him right away. Um, and, and those things only only hit like a second wave of popularity after the, the they're cast in Star Wars, and you want you want to kind of dig into their catalog of or body of work to see well what can these guys do? What have they done? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, they were they were newcomers. Um, so yeah, I mean, all, there's there's a tangent just to say this is this is all about kids. Yeah. <laughs> um. Did you catch? The Krennic cameo. Oh, gosh. I, I probably did, and now I'm like, you know, I'm so tired. So I, I don't remember it, no. Uh, it's it's a faceless, nameless uh, cameo. But there was a uh, someone who was, I think, one of the junior legislators with Leia. Um, and she cut... No, was it a junior guy? I, anyway, she, it was a guy who was through, we'd seen throughout the book. It was a little bit of a shady guy, but she saw him speaking to an Imperial about a building project, and he had a white suit and a and a cape. Okay. Yep. It could only be one guy. As you're saying it, I remember it, but it also sounds like I'm also just pretending. But no, I do remember that. <laughs> so one quick, barely there allusion, uh, alluding to the Death Star construction. Right. And of course, nobody has any idea what's actually going on which is chilling right that foreshadowing that dramatic irony 
that my English teacher used to love so much. <laughs> well, there was a, a big punch right in the eye, right between the eyes, foreshadowing at the beginning of the book. One of the very first chapters where Leia's back on, uh, back home at the, the, the palace in Aldera City. And there's just like this storm coming. And the, the storm actually hits. And I'm like, oh, geez, this is, here's some like foreshadowing for her life to come. Hmm. Just this unrest and stormy weather up for Leia coming. Which I thought was great. Um, just toward, toward, getting towards the end here. But there was a line that Brea dropped on. I think she was talking to either Mon Mothma or Bale. And it was sort of like Leia's version of... No, she, she may have been talking directly to Leia. But it was her version of the Uncle Owen moment where he says, that's what I'm afraid of. And it's when Leia... Yeah, when Leia says um, that the truth wasn't an option. I can't, I can't remember exactly the thing... The line goes now, but... Um, yeah, she, she, was asking, she wanted to know something about her real parents or something about that. Something like that. Anyway, I, I've lost my train of thought. I've wasted a bunch of time here. <laughs> Sorry about that. But it was sort of a moment where Brea just, she knows the truth, but yeah, she wishes she could tell Leia the truth, but she couldn't. Mm-hmm. So it's this, this burden that she's had to carry on behalf of Leia for, for a long time. But anyway, yeah, so I mean, this this book has a little bit of everything, right? It's it had It had some action, not a ton, but some. Um, it had family drama, it had romance, it had all the things that make Star Wars Star Wars. This this book had it. Claudia Gray really drove it home in this book. Absolutely. I, um, yeah, uh, this is, I mean, I think Claudia Gray is, uh, I hope they bring her on for more after this. I hope this isn't her swan song. I hope this is, uh. Just a precursor for more. Um, oh, yeah. I think, yeah, nothing but praise for any of her books. She has been by far, I think, the best author in the new canon so far. And maybe, for, for my money, maybe all of Star Wars literature that I've read in my whole life. Like, her books have been wholly satisfying. Like, a lot of this new canon stuff has kind of left me sort of meh, including the comics. Her three books, so Lost Stars, Bloodline, and Leia of Alderaan, have been pretty much must-reads. Like, if I was to recommend three books to somebody, it would probably be those three books, and I might just try to squeeze Catalyst in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, Catalyst was great, too. Uh, who was Catalyst? Uh, was that James Lucino? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, him, too. He, he's phenomenal. He's really, really good. He, I hope he does more. But yeah, so let's wrap it up. So this book, I mean, obviously it goes without saying uh, we both give a, a very strong recommend to. I think it's safe to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, again, none of these books are essential, I don't think. But if you like the Leia character, and I know some of you guys do, um, then this, I mean, this is a book you've got to have. You, you should definitely check it out, whether an audiobook, which is how I consumed it, which was quite good. It's about 10 hours or so, which is easily broken up, you know, a couple hours a day for a week, you're done, and it's it's well worth the time. 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, if I had to give it a grade, it would be about an, maybe an 8, 8 on 10, which I think is pretty solid. And uh, def definitely worth picking up, especially since it's 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 a young adult novel, and so it doesn't even carry the full like thirty dollar price tag. So you are getting your money's worth there. So Steve, anything else you want to say on this book before we wrap up? Uh, no, just to you know echo that. I you know I would give it a solid. Uh, I was gonna say seven or eight. I I, I was gonna lean maybe towards eight, um, out of ten. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's an easy read. It's a, a satisfying read. I did the audiobook as well. Um, although I seem to be doubling up. I buy here's the thing. I buy the print and then I end up getting the audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do as well. I because I, uh, I, I read so slowly and I read so many things at the same time. So I'm I'm reading Star Wars comics, and I'm trying to chip through a novel, and I'm reading Hindsight by our friends uh, Matthew Keegan with, with Mark and Paul at at TSW. And I, I just read everything in such bite-sized little pieces that I never get I never make any real progress. So, at least with Leia, I could just go and you know, listen to it at work alongside my podcasts, which, which I'm glad I did because mm -hmm. I'd st I'd be halfway through the book now, if that. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much re I listen to it on my commutes, um, which gets me. I mean, yeah, throughout a week, I get through it so quick, and then. I'll put it on. I we got the Alexa at the house, so with Audible, it's a, it's an Amazon thing, so you can like listen to it through the Alexa. Um, so I do that while I'm like doing chores. It's it's so helpful. No doubt. All right. Well, that will do it. I think for this week, a nice healthy hour and change of Leia Valderon for you. So, again, a high recommend from me and Steve on this one. If you're if you're so inclined. Go out and pick it up. If you haven't already, uh, definitely do that. And if you have read it, let us know your thoughts. We, you know, it's it's been out for a while, but haven't really spoken about it here in the Commonwealth. So let us know what you guys are thinking about this book, and if we missed anything, if uh, if you had a different take on whatever it is we spoke about today. And uh, yeah, let's let's have that conversation on on uh, the Tumbling Saber Facebook group or on Twitter, whatever your preference. Uh, so Steve, where can people find you? I am, Aside from the Facebook group, where can they find oh, you on Twitter? Uh, on the Twitter machine, I am at Joango Fett. Awesome. And as always, you can find me at Tumbling Saber. Uh, so that's it. H have yourselves a great weekend. Thank you for listening to us on this Powerful Friends Friday. And we'll speak to you in episode 111 of the Tumbling Saber podcast. You've been listening to Journals of the Willing from the Tumbling Saber team a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Learn more about the network and its members at StarWarsCommonwealth.com. <laughs>